Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Church, how you guys doing today on this New Year's? Oh, man, it is such an honor to, to be with you guys today, man. Could we put our hands together for our online audience as well as those who are checking us out from the campuses, Julington Creek, Orange Park. We're, we're so, so glad that, that you're here. Uh, my name is Keith, and I have the privilege and honor of speaking to you on New Year's Day. I can't think of anything better than that, just to be able to come into the house of God and, and be able to engage in the Word of God, and I get an opportunity to, to speak to you. And um, I, I, I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration. I, I have the privilege of serving as the, uh, the next-gen pastor, and, and, and essentially what that means is I get a chance to hang out with, with teenagers and, and young adults, and it gives me a justification of going out and buying new cool clothes because i got to dress according to the audience that I'm with. So even though I'm an old guy, I can actually dress like a young guy. I'm not having an identity crisis. I just connect with my audience. At least that's what I tell my wife every time I go out and buy something um, in Jesus' name. Um, but before I get started, I want to I wanna, um, I wanna honor our incredible pastors. Um, my family and I, we moved to Jacksonville probably about 11, 12 years ago, I think it is. And, and we've been very active at Celebration probably for the last eight to nine years, um, being on staff for several years um, now. And, and one of the things that I've, that I've learned by being around Pastor Sobel and Pastor Kerry has been when I first started coming here and just seeing the, the success of the church, um, I, I love the fact that they, they never settle. You know, it's possible that you can reach a level of success, you can reach a level of reaching people that you get very comfortable with it. And in the years that I've gotten a chance to know them and work closely with them, I, I love the fact that there's always a bigger vision. There's always something more that God has for you, and they're not afraid to, to challenge us to go and get it. They're not afraid to, to switch things up in order for us to accomplish. What I'm saying is we have leaders that position themselves in the presence of God to make sure that we have fresh manna every day as opposed to living off of yesterday's blessing. And so would you mind joining me as we honor our incredible pastors and leaders who are not afraid to go forward in what it is that God has for us and has for you. Pastor Stovall, Pastor Kerry, we love you and we're so grateful for you and I thank you for this, this opportunity. You know, I, I think about New Year and I, and, I, and I think about how I love this time of year. I, I really do. Not only are we coming on the, the back end of the, the year closing and, and obviously coming off of, of Christmas, which is a great time of, of year where families and things get together, but, but I, I love New Year particularly because it, it, it's a reflection of, of a new season. There's, there's new opportunities and, and it's amazing how you can just turn a page and, and, and the whole timeline shifts. It's just, it's just a turn of the page. Yesterday was 2016, today is 2017. It's a fresh start just like that. And so typically when you have things like that, you have people that are, that are optimistic. They, they set goals and essentially the way that you set goals is you assess where you are. You assess what 2016 looks like in most cases. You look at some of the highs and, and some of the lows and, and you look at some of the successes and failures and maybe some of the curveballs. Man, guys, let me tell you about my 2016. My 2016 was awesome, and I, I, won't, I won't get into all the details, but my biggest milestone for 2016 is I became a grandfather in 2016. I became a grandfather in 2016. Now, I, I tell you that because I'm pretty sure as you look at me, you're like, there is no way that you're old enough that you have a son that was able to bruise a child. Like, how, how is that even possible? Like, you're like 26 yourself, and to that I would say, you know, black don't crack. But then in addition to that, in, in, in addition to that, I, I'll just tell you that, that I've, I've, I found the grace of God in the fountain of youth, and God stopped aging me when I got to about 30. So I'm actually an older guy, but I've been able to be encapsulated and thank God for grace. But, but I, my milestone was that, 
that I became a grandfather, and there's just like this new season that I've gone into that I wasn't even expecting. I didn't even see it coming, but, but here I am, and it's, it's so full of joy. But the reality is there's also been curveballs and, and, and setbacks, and, and the truth is that's a great reflection of what our years are like, what our lives are like on, on, on a yearly basis, where we have these milestones of success, then we also have these other curveballs that come at us that we just weren't expecting, and, and, and really it's all about how do we adapt to it, how do we adjust to it. So a lot of times when we go into the new year, we assess those things and then we make a decision and saying, okay, so for 2017, this is what I want to do to be successful. In 2017, these are the setbacks I had. I want to learn from those. And in 2017, I look at 2016 and I look at some of the, the highs. I want to carry that momentum. And we begin to assess and then we set goals based off of that information. That's, that's very logical. It's very practical in the way that we approach things. But the reality is, and, and this is just the, 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 the grim truth, only 8% of us actually accomplish all the things that we set out to do, statistically speaking, when we get to the end of the year. That's a 92% gap between 8% of us that set these goals, but at the end, or 100% of us set the goal, only 8% of us actually complete what we set out to do, and there's this huge gap between of us actually succeeding in what we set out to do. And there's a lot of variables that, that come into play. Sometimes there's adjustments that you have to make, and so some of those goals no longer seem relevant. But the reality is I believe it's because we, we, we face opposition. And when we face opposition, we have one of two choices. Either we persevere, go through it, or we adapt and move on and do something completely different. I kind of liken it to, you know, a, a football game. And you know what happens that as you get to the end of a football game, what, what ends up happening is if a team is ahead, they're looking at the fact that you're trying to get to the goal line. And so the defense's strategy is to keep you from scoring. And so when the clock is ticking, we're in the fourth quarter and, and maybe I'm only down by a, a touchdown, the defense will often shift into what they call prevent defense. And so what happens in prevent defense, that means that I'll back up enough to give you enough space to get some yards, to give you enough space to get some first downs as long as I keep you from scoring. And I believe that we have a very real enemy that serves as our opposition that utilizes circumstances. And what he does is he's not as concerned about you getting a first down as long as he can keep you from scoring. And, and I believe that when we look at these things and sometimes he wants us to settle for the first down or, or maybe he just wants us to settle for the field goal. But I truly believe that God has called us to score. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We're called to score. We're not called to settle for first downs. We're not called to settle for field goals. God wants us to get into the end zone and actually reach our goals. If you have your Bibles with you, could you join me in, in Philippians, the first chapter? We're going to look at verse 6. We're just going to stop there for, for a quick second. And what's going on here is that this is a letter from Paul. Paul, when he's writing this, is actually sitting in prison. And he got this call from God to, to, to reach out and, and to encourage the church. And, and as he's sitting in prison in this place of being completely confined, he pins this letter to the Philippian church. Now, the whole theme of the Philippian letter is all about being filled with joy and having hope. So you would think a man who's sitting in jail wouldn't have a lot of joy and wouldn't have a lot of hope. But nonetheless, because of the grace of God that was in him, he understood that there was still a peaceful perspective. And what he shares with the Philippian church in, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, And I am certain that the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What Paul was essentially saying is, don't settle. 
don't, don't settle if for, for a field goal when God has called you to score. And if God has put you on a field, he has put you on a field to win. And so even though you may have some setbacks, even though you may lose some yardage from time to time, never lose sight of the goal that God has started in you. Because if he started it in you, he's going to finish it in you. And don't settle for anything less than getting across that goal line. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about the importance of keeping our eyes on the goal and making sure that we don't settle for the things that the opposition presents to us. And we've entitled this message, Settle. Settle. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your people. And I thank you for an opportunity to, to, just, to just share. Father, I pray over the next few moments, God, that we can just lean in and recognize that this has the ability to set up our 2017. So, Father, I pray for open ears that we can hear your voice, God, speaking even amongst all the other voices. Lord, I pray for open eyes that we can see you even in the midst of the crowd, Father, and recognize that you are still with us. And, Lord, I pray for open hearts that we can receive the truth of your word, even in areas where we have developed calluses, God, but your grace is sufficient. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Just by a quick show of hand, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little preliminary survey. Do I have anybody in the house today that you're a fan of stick shifts? I'm talking about manual transmission. Anybody in here, stick shift drivers, manual transmission? There's, there's, there's only a few of us left. It's like a dying breed. There's only, there's only a couple of us left. Um, but I, I commend you. I salute you. We have something in common. I, I remember when I was a young man that um, I knew from the time that I was young that I wanted to get a stick shift. I just feel like there's nothing more manly than being able to actually control the power that you choose to engage on your terms. I think automatic transmissions have made us lazy. We're waiting for something to tell us what gear we need to be in. No, I don't need you to tell me what gear I need to be in. I can determine what gear I want to be in. So I love the idea of having manual transmission, along with the fact that that probably has something to do with my control issues, but we're not talking about that today. Okay, that's not the topic right now. But I, I remember when I knew that I was going to get one, when I finally got to a place where I was going to go and buy my first vehicle, I had already cast it in my mind, made up in my mind that I'm going to get me a stick shift. Never driven one. There was no research I was able to do. YouTube didn't exist back then. So I had to actually just go to the dealership and say, hey, man, this is the car that I want. The guy was like, cool. He took me out to a parking lot and said, all right, man, I need you to go ahead and take a spin for it. See how you feel with it. And I looked at him. I said, man, I, I've never driven a stick shift before. And he looked at me and was like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I need you to teach me. I mean, I was just, I was just ridiculously confident. Now that I think about it, it was probably ridiculous. But I, I said, man, I need you to teach me. And he looked at me and he was like, like, what do you mean teach you? Like, you don't know how to drive? Like, we don't teach. I said, this is why I know you're going to teach me. Because you want commission, I got good credit, and I got a down payment. You're going to teach me if you want this money. <laughs> real, real arrogant. I really was. I really was. And so the guy was like, well, I guess you're right. You got a good point. So he began to teach me. And I was a quick learner. Uh, I was adjusting well, and I was, I was grinding the gears a little bit. But because I was so determined, even though I, I was grinding gears, I continued to stay on the path. So after driving about an hour or so, um, I felt like I was good enough that I could just drive home, and then I could just get better as time went on. So we get back to the dealership, and, and the guy's like, okay, Mr. Pittman, you ready to, you ready to sign the paperwork? I said, absolutely, but you got to get me another vehicle because I'm confident that I avoided the warranty with all the grinding out on this, man. So go get me another vehicle. I'll meet you inside. So I went inside. The guy gets me another vehicle, and everything is good. Now, the truth of the matter is I paid about $10,000 more for the car than I was supposed to, so the joke was on me, I guess, in the long term, but I don't want to talk about it. So, but I remember as I was driving, I just felt such a level of, of confidence because I had this control. And so when I took my wife, who was then my girlfriend, on our first date, I remember when I went to go pick her up. And so I, I, I drive up in my, in my brand-new Jetta, 1997, had my rims, the windows were tinted, 
um, had, had my little speaker system in there. Yeah, I was that guy. And I, I was playing some nice R&B music, trying to impress my wife, probably a little bit of Luther Vandross. Y'all know anything about that? Woo-hoo. Anyway, so I, I, I pull up. I let the window down, and she comes out, and she walks down the steps, and as she is about to get in the car, she glances in, and she sees the stick shift. And she's like, oh, my God, is that a stick shift? And I put it in the first gear. I was like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hop on in here, girl. And so she was immediately impressed. She was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is awesome. I've never actually written in this. And so I immediately knew that my, my credibility was at, was at a whole other level. Like, I was showing her that I was a man's man. And so I was thinking to myself, how do I top that level of, of inspiration that I've just transferred to her? The only thing that was better than that is me actually teaching her how to drive it herself. Now, you have to understand, going back into that time, like, guys didn't let girls drive. Like, I was a major commitment. So with me saying to her, like, girl, you know what? I like you so much. I'm going to teach you how to drive this stick shift. And she was like, are you serious? I'm like, absolutely. We're going to go to this parking lot. We get out to the parking lot, and she's a quick learner. So I'm, I'm walking her through the process, and she immediately knows how to engage the clutch and getting into first gear. And so we're off. We're riding around in the parking lot, driving in circles. Now, granted, it's a parking lot, so we couldn't go too fast. But she got into second gear, and she was doing really good, just riding in circles, and it was all good. So I said, you know what? I'm feeling very generous today. I'm going to actually let you take the vehicle on the road right now. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm that kind of guy. So I said, yes, we're going to go and take this vehicle out onto the road. I want you to go on up, and I'm going to even treat you when we get to Dairy Queen. <laughs> you can have whatever you like. So that's, 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 how I, that's how I set it up for her. Okay, so she, she, she's prepared to go out, and I said, okay, so you know where we're going? And so as she's getting ready to go out, she comes to a stop, and then it's immediately in this moment I realized that there was a process in which I failed with the discipleship transferring in that moment. And the problem is, even though I taught her how to shift gears, I didn't tell her how to engage the clutch when you come to a complete stop. So when she came to a stop, the car began to stutter, and then it eventually just stalled out. Now, here's what you got to understand about when a vehicle stalls out, at least the car that I had. Like, the central nervous system of the car doesn't know what's going on. So every indicator on the instrument panel all lights up at the same time. So when we stalled out, she's looking at the instrument panel, and immediately she's thinking that my hood is up, my trunk is up, all the doors are open, I ran out of oil, the battery's dead, and my tires are flat. All those things are lit up all at the same time. So she's thinking that the vehicle is about to explode. Seriously. So she hops out of the car. like, I'm out. She didn't even check to make sure I was good. She was out. She like tucked and rolled. And I was like, where are you going? Because in her mind, she was thinking to herself, like, I had a destination in sight. We came to a stop. We lost momentum. The car stalled out. And as I look at the instrument panel, the signals are telling me that the car is dead. And so she felt as though there was no way we were going to be able to use that vehicle to make it to the destination that we got was going to take us to. The reality is I believe that a lot of times in life we, we set our minds up to go to a destination. And, and, and we begin to look as driving around in, in the proverbial parking lot, if you will, and we are seeing that we're able to manage the, the gifts and the grace that's on our life. But when it's time for us to merge onto the highway of our calling, if we lose momentum and, and God forbid if we stall out, we can look at the instrument panel and believe that, that our calling is dead, that our, that our opportunities are dead. And so unfortunately, we can look at the instrument panel and the signals that's being sent to us, and we can think that there's no way I'm going to make it to this destination, and we adjust and we settle for something different. You see, if we're going to clap, let's clap. If we're going to do it, commit. <laughs> you see, when we, look in, when we look in Scripture, we see that there's a lot of people that all go through the highs and lows where they, they stall out, so to speak. Or I would say the definition of stalling is to, to simply lose momentum. 
And, and, and what I want to do is I just simply want to look at the life of a character in the Bible that I believe that if we evaluate it, there's principles that we can extract from that that not only will teach us the journey that he's gone through, but hopefully give us enough information that will set us up that as we go into 2017, that we can have some perspective to ensure that though we may have setbacks, that we never should settle for anything less than what God has truly called us to go through. See, from Genesis 11 through Genesis 19, we're introduced to this character named Lot. And Lot is an incredible character, and I think there's three principles that we can extract from looking at the life of Lot. The first principle that I think we can extract from looking at Lot, and it can translate to our life, is don't settle for what you feel. Don't settle for what you feel. You see, Lot had an interesting upbringing. He lost his father when he was very young, and so his, his grandfather, Terah, is the one who began to take care of him. Terah was the one who was, who, was, who was providing for him. And so what you need to understand about Lot is that he's, he lost his father, whose name was Haran. His uncle was Abraham, that same Abraham that we, that we hear about in Scripture, the, the father of our faith. So this is the family unit that he's connected to. He loses his father, and now his grandfather is the one that's taking care of him. But what we see happens after the death of his father, his grandfather, Terah, which is the patriarch, the one who's making decisions, says, we're going to leave this environment, and we're actually going to go to this place called Canaan. We just want to get away from the pain. We want to get away from the suffering. We want to get away from the bad memories. Let's pack up our family and go to this other location that we know as Canaan. Now, here's what you need to know about Canaan. Canaan is what we would know in scriptures as the promised land. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. When you read in Exodus about the children of Israel getting free from Egypt so they can go to the land that's flowing with milk and honey, that's actually Canaan. So this location, God had already preordained for his people to go to an environment where they can experience the blessings that he has for them. So that all started with Abraham's father. So when they make this journey, they're on this journey. They're all excited. They got the vehicle all gassed up. They're, they've got their mindset. They got the coordinates all set. But as they begin on this journey, they start seeing signs that says, exit for Heron three miles away. Exit for Heron two miles away. Exit for Heron one mile away. Here's, here's what you got to understand. Lot's dad's name was Heron. Abraham's brother's name was Heron. Terah's son's name was Heron. In other words, it was a name that they were familiar with. So even though they lost this loved one, they're seeing the signs up that gives them the appearance that, well, maybe we should get off at this exit. And even though they had a destination in mind, they took a detour for something that was familiar. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis eleven thirty one that when they got to Heron, that they looked around, they felt comfortable, and the scriptures tell us, and they settled there. Even, even though they were, they were called to go to another destination, they took a detour on their road trip and they settled for the field goal. They, they settled for the first down. And so now Lot is now in this environment where they settled. I, I wonder if it's times in our lives that God has called us to a destination, but we end up settling for the familiar. I'm talking about settling for familiar relationships that you know that God has called you to be linked together with other believers who, who are believing for God the same way that you are, people who want you to, to stay pure, to accomplish all that God has for your life. And even though we know that that's what God is calling us to do, we, we still settle for the same familiar people. I, I wonder if there's ever anybody in here that God has kind of put a burden on your heart to go and, and start your own business, and, and you feel this drive that God has given you this desire to be creative and innovative, but, but the reality is you kind of settle for the comfort of where you are because it's, it's scary to come sometimes step out on your own. I remember when I was in that, that valley of decision of, of, of processing what it meant to come into full-time ministry, 
and, and you have to understand that I went to school for the, the craft that I did. I, I invested 10 years of working, and so I built up this, 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 this generational, I know where I'm going, I know what next year is going to be. I know that if I continue on this path, how much I'll be making in the next two years, five years, I can understand the corporate ladder enough that I know that I'll be successful. And naturally, as I started feeling this, this tug in my spirit of me stepping into what God was calling me to do, the familiar job that I had started making the offers of staying there a lot harder to walk away from. I was getting offers of promotions and, and offers of raises and at the same time simultaneously feeling like that the spirit of God was calling me to go somewhere else. But my feelings were telling me that I needed to stay where I was familiar and confident and comfortable. But I felt that my spirit was telling me, are you going to trust me or not? You see, what, what ends up happening is I remember processing this and I, I remember God saying to me, Keith, my grace will meet you at the place of your decision. If you decide to stay at your current job, I will not love you any more or love you any less. And I think sometimes we put unnecessary pressure on ourselves thinking that if I don't get the right decision made, then maybe somehow God's going to love me more or less. There's nothing further from the truth. God's grace will meet you at the place of your decision. But what God spoke to me, and he said it pretty plainly, he said, but Keith, your, your burden is a burden of trust. So whether you decide to stay at your current job or decide to step into full-time ministry, I don't love you any more or less. But here's my question for you, son. When you stand in my presence at the end of your life, do you want to say that you didn't accomplish all that I had for you because I couldn't afford you? That, that radically changes the way that I saw things. See, my feelings were telling me that I needed to stay where things were more secure and confident, but my spirit was compelling me to be obedient to the things of God. You see, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that we can't even trust our hearts. We can't trust our feelings. It says, who can know it? And I'm pretty confident that some of us have people in our past that we're thinking to ourselves that this is the person that God has called me to. I'm feeling like I love this individual. I'm feeling this is where I'm supposed to be. And thank God for social media because you can look at your past and say, God, thank God that I didn't go by my feelings and I actually was obedient and I recognized that grace was taking me to another direction. I think a lot of us have dodged bullets like Neo in the Matrix. We just kind of, whoa, I'm glad I missed that one. That's the thing that God wants us to see is that he's telling us that he wants you not to go by your feelings because you can't always trust it. You see, see, Lot was in this season where he was with his grandfather, he was with, he was with his uncle, and, and because of their feelings, they settled for less than what God has for him. Now, unfortunately, Lot had experienced another setback, and the next setback that he has is while they settled in this environment that was so familiar to them, he now lost his grandfather. His grandfather has now died. So he, he, he lost his father, he lost his grandfather, and now he's under the leadership of his uncle Abraham. And so what we learn about Abraham, Abraham is thinking to himself, I want to finish what my father started. So the Bible tells us in Genesis 12 that God comes and speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to go and finish that journey. Go ahead and get to Canaan. So he packs up his family, and they all go to Canaan, and, and, and they get there. This big, prosperous land that's all laid out for him. And so while they're there, unfortunately, it doesn't take long for things not to look the way that they wanted it to look. Unfortunately, they experience a famine while they're at the promised land. I'm not sure if that's anybody's reality that you get to the place that you feel that God is calling you to, but now you feel as if the resources are beginning to dwindle and you don't have everything that you feel like you need in order to be successful. It's a matter of trust that God's trying to work out in us. But nonetheless, Abraham is looking at the fact that there's a famine and he says, I need to go to Egypt. Here's what you need to understand about Egypt. In scripture, Egypt is always associated with sin or being away from God. So here's the principle that we're looking at. Abraham went from being in the place that God was calling him to and compelling him to trust him as his source. And Abraham said, no, I'm going to go to Egypt because I'm going to get the resources that I need from the world. I'm going to leave the promise in order to get to the world. And so Lot, who's very young and impressionable, is having a spirit of compromise transferred to him. 
You see, when you allow compromise to enter your bloodstream, it dilutes your faith. And so now that compromise has entered his bloodstream, he is seeing this. And so now they are in Egypt. Egypt is a worldly, godless environment. And while they're there, they don't even feel settled there. In fact, it, it's so bad, they actually get kicked out of Egypt. Like the king is like, look, man, you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. You got to get up out of here. So he literally kicks him out of the world because that wasn't where he was supposed to be. I believe that there's many times in our lives that we're wondering why we don't feel settled where we are. And I think it's because the grace of God is saying that I never intended for you to stay there. I'm calling you to go to a place where you can, can to depend solely on me. Don't get settled in environments that God is telling you that to get out of. So, okay, they leave Egypt. And now that they left Egypt, they come right back to the promised land. Stay with me on this because this, this is where it gets interesting. Now, when they get back to the promised land, there's a conflict between Abraham and Lot. They don't even, they're not even on the same page anymore. There's all this beef. Reason being is because when they left Egypt, they have accumulated a great deal of wealth. They took a lot of resources from Egypt. So when they left, the people in Egypt said, Here, here's all resources. Here's all the stuff that you can get from Egypt. Take that with you to the promised land. And now the same promised land that once was an environment of peace, that once was an environment of, of, of joy, that same environment now became a place of conflict and contention. And the reality is because they brought a lot of baggage with them from the world. I wonder if it's possible that there's times in our lives that even though we're standing in the place that God has called us to stand, that we're not experiencing peace because we brought a lot of baggage from the world. I'm not sure if you ever felt that you were feeling a little bit crowded even though there's no one around you. I'm not sure if you ever felt insufficient because you're thinking that my past is chasing after me and I'm not the one that, that God is really going to use. And that's why we have freedom groups. That's why we have community groups to help us to get freed up from the baggage that attaches itself to us when we're out into the world. And we often bring that with us. You see, it's important for us that we don't go by what we see. So, so Lot, here he is. They, they come in. And so Abraham makes the solution. He says, okay, this is what I want us to do. You don't want no problems with me. I don't want no problems with you. You don't want no problems. Shout out to Chance the Rapper. You don't, you don't want no problems. You don't want no problems. I don't want no problems, man. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the option. I want you to go ahead and look up and choose any location you want to go to. You take your people there. I'll stay here and everything will be good. And so the Bible says that Lot lifts up his eyes and he looks at the environment that appears to have the most, the most items there. That, that appears to be the, the place where he can get the most joy and the most resources. And he says, I'm going to go to this location. And it actually turns out to be Sodom, which is the most godless environment that we've known. You see, the second principle that I think we can learn from looking at the life of Lot is that you can't go by what you see. Don't settle for what you see. You see, what happens is Lot settles for what he sees, and when he goes down to where this environment that is so godless, he's now in this place where he's dealing with constant oppression, and he's struggling, and he falls victim to false advertisement. And I think that we've all been there. I can remember a couple of months ago when um, I woke up from a, a nap. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and I saw this commercial come up on the screen, and it was this commercial that was talking about this burger, this new burger that was, that was available at this fast food restaurant that shall remain nameless. Okay, so I, I sit up, and I really feel like it's the voice of God telling me that I need to go and get that burger immediately. I mean, I felt like it was like a God-ordained moment because I, I woke up, and it was like it was right there. And so God was like, Keith, I want you to have that burger. And I'm like, well, Lord, like, should I really go and, and, and eat? I mean, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. Is that burger really a good idea? And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, I've ordained you to go ahead and get that burger. Now, now here's the reality. 
at 11 o'clock at night, God's not speaking to you about processing a, a, a burger. But nonetheless, I was confident that was the voice of God. So I'm wrestling with myself. It's like the, the Romans 7 deal when I want to do good, evil's yet with me. Like one part of me was like, I need to get that burger. And the other part of me was like, no, just eat a salad. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. So I said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm going to go and get this burger. So I hop up. It's about 1130 at this point after this debate for about 30 minutes. I get in my vehicle and I ride down to this fast food restaurant that shall remain nameless. And so when I get there, here, here's a little asterisk and all this stuff. If you ever go to a fast food establishment that closes at midnight and you get there at about 1142, you're not getting the A game. That's all I'm going to tell you. So anyway, I get there and there's a couple of cars in front of me. And so by the time I get up to place my order, it's 1148. They close in 12 minutes. And so the guy that's about to take my order, he still has his finger on the button, and he's talking to his coworkers, and he's like, look, man, you guys need to turn off that light, because I don't know why these people keep showing up, knowing that we're about to close in 12 minutes. We're not putting down no more food. Can I help you? <laughs> Attitude was way off. And I'm thinking to myself, the commercial, all the workers were so happy. They were so filled with, with joy. They were glad you were there. They were asking you if you wanted extra sauces. They were asking you all these great questions, but that was not my experience at all. So I was like, okay, man. I was like, hey, man, it's, it's all good. I, I placed my order. He's like, hey, man, we don't have any more fries. I'm like, man, the commercial said that y'all got burgers and, and fries and the drinks with the, with, with the condensation on. That's what I want, man. We don't got no more fries. I'm like, what do you got? He said, I can give you a couple extra nuggets. I'm like, I didn't come here for nuggets. I came here to get what was on the commercial, which I just wanted the, the burger and the fries and the drink. What do you mean? But I, I realized that in that moment, the Spirit of God was telling me to exhibit grace. You never know. So I'm like, okay, let me be a messenger of grace. It's all good. I'm going to move on. That's the kind of guy that I am. So I get around to the front. And again, the guy still has this little off attitude. So I'm not typically a complainer, but I'm like, hey, man, is the manager here? He said, look at me. I am the manager. I'm like, oh, God, I can't even win. I can't even, I can't even win. Can't win. So I'm, I'm getting my food. Again, the, 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 the service was horrible. It's nothing like what I saw in the commercial. But then I get back home. And, and, and I'm looking at this burger, and, and, and this burger looks like something that they found under the grill. It was like the last one that they had that they cooked two days ago. It was, it was flattened. It didn't look anything like the commercial. In fact, the burger looked like what burgers look like if they're, if they're on meth. Like it was all shrunken up. It was all shriveled. It was all dilapidated. But nonetheless, I really wanted that burger. So I said, I'm going to go ahead and eat it. But my mind was telling me, man, you, you probably shouldn't eat it. That's not a good idea. I'm like, shut up. I'm going to go ahead and eat this burger. So I open it up. It's, it's all beat up. It's, it looks very dry. And I'm eating it. And immediately it's, it's dry. My body is telling me, stop. Just stop. Just stop. Please, if you love me, just stop. And I'm like, I'm quieting these voices in the name of Jesus. And I eat it. But I know that I'm going to regret it. I didn't even get halfway through the burger where I'm literally getting sick. But I'm thinking to myself, the commercial didn't show me being sick. The commercial didn't show me disgruntled employees. The commercial didn't show me the lack of French fries. The commercial showed me a great experience. But I, I realized that I fell victim to false advertisement. And, and the reality is I believe that the world has a tendency to show us some things that give us the impression that things are going to work out in our favor. It gives us a tendency to let us think that things are going to work out if we just do things this way, if we can just get to this location. And we settle for what we see instead of going ahead and eating the nutrients that God truly has for us in-house. You see, there's side effects when we digest things that the world tries to give us. Here's a little side note. You want to know how the enemy is lying? When he's talking, because the truth is not in him. Anytime the world is trying to give you the impression that you can get love, you can get joy, you can get peace, outside of the grace of God, it will never deliver on its promises. But there are side effects of walking with God. That is joy, that is peace, that is love, that is kindness, that is long-suffering, that is freedom. See, the side effects of walking with the world 
is wholes. The side effects of walking with God is being whole. But we have to make a decision on what it is that we want to digest, but you can't go by what you see. See, the world is going to send us a message telling us, if I can just get to this location, then I'll be blessed. If I can just get over to the other side of this line, then I'll be blessed. I need to reorient your theology right now. You're not blessed because of where you are. Where you are is blessed because of you. The favor of God is with you, not with the location. You see, with the children of Israel, they were blessed. They were highly favored. And so Canaan was simply the environment that could sustain the blessing that was on the people's life, not the other way around. You don't have to get to a certain location to reach the freedom that God has for you. You could be free right now. You don't have to get to another place where you can feel like your marriage can get fixed. You can get your marriage fixed right now. The grace of God is with you, but you can't settle on what you see. I believe the enemy is going to send some things your way in 2017 to make you look at the instrument panel of your life and believe that, man, this isn't working. But I believe the grace of God is telling you don't settle for what you see. You see, Lot was in this environment where he was dealing with this, this, this brokenness and, and this pain. He was living in, in, in this location of Sodom. And so what ends up happening is his, his, his uncle continues to intercede for him. He continues to pray for him. And while he's praying for him, the grace of God comes and rescues Lot from that broken environment. Oh, this is so good. While Lot was in this painful, sin-ridden environment, the grace and message of God came and retrieved him from where he was to take him to a place of freedom. I'm not sure if you think that I have to get cleaned up in order for me to come into the presence of God. I'm not sure if you believe that you have to have it all together in order for you to actually experience God's best for your life. But every scripture that I read, it shows me how the grace of God, the message of God radically invades you in the place of your brokenness and then leads you out of the place of pain instead of you feeling that you have to do it all on your own. God's grace knows exactly where you are. You see, what ends up happening is as the grace of God meets Lot while he's in Sodom and tells him that it's time to move on, Lot begins the journey. But unfortunately, his wife doesn't make it. So here's the inventory right now. Lot has lost his father. He's lost his grandfather. He's estranged from his uncle, and he's just lost his wife. All this is happening in one man's lifetime. And as he's walking, and the voice of God speaks to him and tells him, I want you to go to the mountaintop. I can imagine the voices of fear telling him, man, look at all the death that surrounds you. Look at all the broken relationships and all the suffering and setbacks that you had you'll never make it to the mountaintop. You'll never get to that destination. What you need to do is you need to go to that town of Zor. And he begins to listen to those voices. The last and final point that I have for you today is don't settle for what you hear. Don't settle for what you hear because there will come seasons where things will speak to you that are contrary to the truth. And what happens with Lot, even though God was pointing him to go to the mountaintop, he settled for the insignificant. You see, Zor means small thing or insignificant. And while God was compelling Lot to go to the top of the mountain, he settled for what he hear, and he allowed fear to have its place in his life, and he settled for this small town. Unfortunately, we don't hear much about Lot after this. We hear that he makes it to this small town, he ends up drunk in the cave, fathering two children, and essentially we really don't hear much from him. You know, it, it reminds me as I'm thinking back to when I was showing my wife how to drive. And when she hopped out of the car because she thought it was going to explode, when I finally convinced her to get back into the car, passenger seat, of course, she's back into the vehicle, and, and, and I explained to her, like, honey, the car is stalled. We're not stranded. All we have to do is, is put our foot on the clutch, turn the vehicle back on, put it in gear, and continue on the destination that we already have set up. Don't let the instrument panel make you believe that we are stranded. We stalled, but we're not stranded as long as we engage the clutch and put it back into gear. I believe that's a message for us as we go into 2017, even conclude in 2016. 
We may look at the instrument panel and believe that we are stalled, but God is with you and I assure you that you're not stranded. All you need to do is engage the clutch of grace, put it in the gear where you can actually have access to the power that God has for your life and continue on a place that you've settled in your mind and the destination that God has for you instead of settling for a field goal or instead of settling for a first down. You see, I'm reminded of a man named Abraham. And Abraham had a calling on his life and he was called to be the father of nations, but now he reached 100 years old. It doesn't look like he had any reproductive ability left. And by all evidence, it seemed as if his life was stalled. But it was through Abraham that he continued to be faithful to God and that he produced Isaac. Isaac produced Jacob. Jacob was converted to Israel. Israel produced the 12 sons of Israel. And from the 12 sons of Israel, we have Judah. And from Judah, we get Jesus. It looked as if Abraham's life was stalled, but he certainly wasn't stranded. I'm, I'm reminded of the prophet Moses. And Moses had killed a man early in his life, and he ran off to the desert to get away from the persecution that was going to ensue as a result of it. It seemed as if his life was completely over, that God was radically done with him. But the Bible I read tells me the grace of God met him where he was in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his rejection, gave him a message to go back and rescue the people. And as a result of his obedience, more than two million people were let out of bondage. It looked as if he was stalled, but he certainly wasn't stranded. I'm, I'm reminded of a man named Samson. And what the Bible tells me about Samson in the book of Judges is that he was called to be a deliverer for his people, but he compromised in his faith a little bit, and he literally lost his sight. It seemed as if Samson would never be used, but the grace of God met him where he was, and the Bible tells us that he was more successful at his death than he ever was in his life. He was stalled, but he certainly wasn't stranded. I'm reminded of the man Peter, and the Bible I read tells me that Peter had walked with Jesus, he had talked with Jesus, he had served with Jesus, but the Bible says that when Jesus was carted away and taken away to be crucified, that Peter said, I don't know him. I never knew him. Don't even ask me any more questions about it. It seemed as if Peter had given up on his calling and that he had lost any opportunity to be used by the things of God. But the Bible says he had a radical encounter with the grace of God. He picked himself up. He continued on the destination that God had for him. And he said, I'm going to preach the word of God. And when he preached the word of God, the Holy Spirit fell and over 2,000 people were saved that day. And Peter became an architect of the faith. I'm reminded of a man named Paul, and Paul was on a journey, and he was called to persecute the church, but somehow God said, I got a call on your life. He lost his vision. He was shipwrecked, but God told him that I'm going to use you to change the world. It looked as if his life was stalled when he was sitting in the prison, but he went on to write more than one-third of the Bible. He was stalled, but he wasn't stranded. I'm reminded of the man Jesus Christ. The Bible I read tells me that he lived a life perfectly. He was sinless, never made a mistake, but he still was persecuted. He still faced opposition, and even in the midst of all of that, he continued to be faithful, but he was carted away. He was beaten unrecognizably. He was nailed to a cross, and he died. Now, from an outside perspective, day one, he didn't rise from the grave. Day two, he didn't rise from the grave. Day three, he didn't rise from the grave yet. So it looked as if Jesus was stalled, but can I tell you what was going on while he was in the grave? The Bible I read tells me that he was actually in hell, and he was taking the authority from death. He was taking the authority of hell. Hell. He was taking authority from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Jesus rose from the grave. He came out and says, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. It may look like when he was on a cross that he was stalled, but he wasn't stranded because he trusted God. I don't know what you went through in 2016, but I assure you, you were not stranded. I don't know what you're going to go through in 2017, but I assure you, you were not stranded. The grace of God is with you. And if God before you, who can be against you? The grace of God is with you. You may stall, but you're not stranded. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.